right, guys, back again. New season of the Break Hard Podcast. I know if you listen to the dual episode, they'll call that like the trial run. That was our version of the clash. Just getting into things, getting back into the groove. Had a full weekend of racing at the Daytona International Speedway. Obviously, uh, weekend was capped off with the Daytona 500. This afternoon, uh, I'm recording this Sunday night. So if you're listening to this literally any other time than the Sunday night, that's what I'm referring to. So... We had um, three, all three winners this weekend, one for the first time for their new team. So there's that. I, obviously, in Austin Cendrick's case, uh, he was with Penske. He just got moved up to the Cup Series. Uh, I'm still counting that. Zane Smith wins the truck race on Friday night, his first race for Front Row Motorsports in their number 38 F-150. Austin Hill wins his uh, first Xfinity start for RCR. In the 21 car on Saturday night. And then on Sunday evening, we'll call it evening, Austin Cendrick wins in his first start in the number two car for Roger Penske. Gets Roger his second second Daytona 500. No, third Daytona 500. First for the number two car. First career win for Austin Cendrick. Cup Series win for Austin Cendrick. Not anybody I think we predicted to win the race. Obviously, Austin's... I'll give Austin Cindric credit. A lot of people are going to discredit Austin Cindric because of who his dad is. Dad's obviously president of Team Penske, Tim Cindric. Everyone thinks that Austin's in this position because of who his dad is, and they're not particularly wrong. Uh, you know, Austin had sort of was presented to Roger throughout his entire career for Roger to make a decision on. And, you know, Austin doesn't bring money with him. I'll give him that. Like, he's he is technically there on talent. Granted, Penske's just always been in his life because his dad is who he is. But Austin was never a strictly stock car guy sort of through his developmental ranks. Uh, he worked really hard, really hard to become a good stock car driver. If you remember his first truck series start when he was just plowing through people at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park of a motorsport to where he is now, he's come a really, really long way. He learned how to race on ovals. He went through a dreaded curse season in the number 60 car uh, with Roush Fenway Racing in the Xfinity Series. He was on his roof at one point at Daytona in that car. So he's come a long way. He's an Xfinity champion, was half a corner away from being a back-to-back Xfinity champion last year. He rebounds from that, losing in the last corner, uh, the last lap to to Daniel Hemrick last year to winning the Daytona 500. I think that's a pretty good rebound. It's a great rebound for for Austin. So he picks up his first career win in what was one of the, I don't want to say one of the stranger Daytona 500s because it played out like most Daytona 500s. It was strange in the way of some of the things that just happened in terms of parts failure, uh, accidents, Brad Keselowski driving like he's Ty Dillon in the clash. Like there was a lot of things to get into, but Obviously, we got to start with Austin Cendrick, winner of the race, led 21 of 201 laps. He uh, picks up, obviously, he's locked into the playoffs now. So, Austin Cendrick, as a rookie, will race for a championship. I think everybody probably maybe had him penciled in as being a guy that would be in the top 16. He's really, again, really talented race car driver in a really good car. Uh, Jeremy Bullins, his crew chief, you could argue that he's maybe not the best crew chief. I think Bullins has, I'm trying to think here, I think he has four career victories as a crew chief and three of them are on super speedways i'm almost positive i think he has two with or one with brad one with ryan maybe he has two with ryan so if he has regardless i think all if he either has four career wins or five career wins as a crew chief all of them came with 
or on Super Speedway's bar one, and I think that came at, um, I believe that one came on the road course at uh, the Roval. I could be completely wrong here, and now I have to like look it up just because I don't want to be a fool. This is a factual podcast. You guys come here for the facts. Let's see if I, I mean, it's Jeremy Bullens, right? Like, what the fuck? Oh, I don't want a driver's search. Racing reference, do you still do crew chiefs? Yes, you do. Thank God. Oh, what the fuck is this? Um, What is he? B, 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 B. Good Lord, there is a ton of crew chiefs on this list. All right, let me get through the alphabet here. B, U, where, oh, there he is. Jeremy Bullens. Let's take a look at old Jeremy Bullens. He has eight career wins? What? Oh, I completely forgot about Brad's 2020 season. Whoops. I was under the impression that uh, Bullens had moved over to the two-car last season. So, all right, fuck me. He's got eight career, nine career wins now. Of those nine, I know four of them, I believe. I think. Charlotte, Bristol, Alban. No, no, okay. So yeah, four of those nine came on Super Speedway races. I mean, hey, credit to Jeremy Bullens. He has more wins than I thought. He obviously has a good strategy, and he knows how to prepare a car for a Super Speedway race, and he's been gifted with Brad Keselowski on a Super Speedway. Ryan Blaney, really good on a Super Speedway. And now he's got Austin Cindric, who is apparently pretty solid on a Super Speedway. I guess the, uh, the biggest thing from this Daytona 500... There were seven cautions for 37 laps. The biggest one, biggest wreck happened early in the race. What would that have been? Uh, lap 64 at the end of stage one. Uh, Brad just decided to drive through Harrison Burton. Uh, he's pushing Harrison Burton on the top line. Just picks him up, dumps him on the back stretch. Harrison side, side, or gets sideways, runs into the 24, shoots Willie B off to the inside wall. He smashes the wall. While he's smashing the wall and while Fox is just sticking with the bumper cam on the 18 for God knows what reason, the 21 is upside down. Completely missed that on a live shot. Uh, 21 flips up, smacks down on its roof, lands back on its wheels. Harrison's able to climb out, thankfully. Uh, Twice this week we saw cars get upside down. Not great. But to see the next-gen car get upside down and then get back onto its wheels was promising downside is it got upside down really really easily and that's not good obviously when these cars get turned sideways they get a little air underneath them and that's what caused them to go up and around nascar has figured out and thankfully through engineering and science and all the other fun things they figured out a pretty good way of keeping these cars on the ground the downside is is if you get t-boned or hit at all while you're sideways at a high rate of speed it creates a lift like you're in an airplane and the harrison just went up and over the other downside is the next gen car has an under tray, so it's completely flat underneath the car. There's nothing to stop it from getting up in the air, or once the air gets underneath it, from lifting it. So that causes lift, and we get Harrison Burton upside down. So not great. Uh, Harrison finishes 39th. I think a lot of people, a lot of Connect the Dots people, were hoping to have a repeat of 2011. Harrison making his second career Cup Series start. Uh, his first in the Daytona 500, first start for the Wood Brothers. 
blah, blah, blah. Uh, happens on February 20th, involved in a uh, wreck on the last lap of his duel. Same thing happened to Trevor Bain, went on to win the race. People were hoping the same thing, literally all the same stuff that happened to Trevor Bain that weekend happened to Harrison Burton. So uh, there was some thought that maybe history would repeat itself. It did not. Brad Keselowski had other ideas. Dr. Brad uh, is taking people to school. Brad Keselowski, who doesn't believe in a college education, which, you know, you can argue either way on that. Brad should take a class in aerodynamics because uh, he obviously does not know how uh, this keeps happening. He said he was surprised that the 21 spun when he picked him up off the ground and spun him out. So that that's Brad. Uh, we'll revisit him in a little bit because guess what? He uh, fucking ran through other people again. I think Brad wrecked like 15 race cars. If anything, drivers or owners that rather should be sending invoices over to RFK uh, this weekend to be like, hey, bro, like you're wrecking all of these race cars. All of these wrecks were caused by you. So in that first wreck, he damaged one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cars. Not ideal. And then in the second wreck, he damaged, oh, only three cars. So, you know, good for Brad. He only wrecked a quarter of the field instead of um, a third of the field. Yeah, so that was something. A couple things with the new car that I think were unintended consequences that NASCAR didn't think about. So first off, we have a major issue with wheels and tires. That's going to be the talking point throughout the entire week and probably for the majority of the beginning of the season here. So obviously, if you follow racing closely, you saw that Penske and um, RFK got wheels confiscated by NASCAR. So essentially what it is on the back of the on the back of the rim, on the back of the wheel, uh, when you slide it on, there's, I think, maybe a dozen pinholes. I'm not sure on the number of pinholes that are on the back side of the wheel, uh, right where the essentially stud would go for the single lug. Uh, there's, you know, a dozen pinholes around there. And what that's supposed to do is when you push the, t the wheel onto the hub, on the hub, there's five five pins that stick out. So you're supposed to get the, the rim to lock into there before you uh, tighten the wheel down with a single lug. What RFK and Penske did is they took uh, a file grinder essentially and widened those holes out to make it easier for them to slide on. The downside to that is, and I know, I understand what they're saying is they're like, we're trying to just ensure that we can get the wheel on to the pin. I understand that completely. The downside is when you wrote, when you go to shake that wheel, like if you were gonna shake it you know, right to left, like it was rotating on the hub, you're going to get a lot of, you're going to get some play in that. You can't have that. You can't have play in those pins going back and forth. That's going to eventually, you know, hurt the, hurt the wheel. The integrity of the wheel has been flawed, essentially, now that you can give it that little bit of wiggle room. There's a reason that there's a tight tolerance. It's so when you push that on, when you rotate the wheel, it rotates with the rest of the hub. Like, we can't have it shake. Like when you put it on, you shouldn't be able to, you know, even a quarter of an inch, which I'm sure it wasn't even a quarter of the inch for them, um, you know, hurts the integrity of the wheel and ultimately is a major safety issue. So I don't think NASCAR, I don't think they're going to throw a huge penalty at them. I think it's going to be more of like, hey, don't do that again. The downside is getting those five pins to line up with those pinholes. You would think with double the pinholes than there are pins, you would be able to just slide it on. But man, there's one caution flag, I believe in, I want to say the close to the end of stage two, maybe it was in stage three, 
right before a green flag, like, you know, after they pitted the next lap around, probably eight cars came to pit road to make sure that they have their wheels tight. That's not ideal. We can't have that. So that's just kind of the first issue. The next issue we have to deal with, we had Casbrol and the 50 car completely lose a wheel. Rim, tire, all. Just left the car. Almost hit the 45, or the 45 almost hit the tire, which would have been bad um, for Kurt and God knows wherever that tire ends up at. So that's going to be a big penalty for for the 50 team. Casbrol's car, the driver, or not the driver, the crew chief's going to get a four-race suspension on that. But you have to think that with a single lug, it was it makes it really easy for that wheel to fall off. Uh, if you had five lugs on there, granted, we still we've we've seen wheels fall off when you have five lugs. I'm not going to say five lugs are, you know, the safest thing out there, and we'll never see issues with them. But five lugs do give you a bit more of a um, tolerance in a sense. Like if you hit three, like you know it's going to stay on. You can come back in. You're not going to lose a tire. With that one, if you don't get it on and it fails, guess what? That tire's coming off immediately. So that's what we saw there. Not ideal. And then we saw the uh, the collar car. I believe it was Justin Haley. He had the entire rim broke on the car. So, like, yeah, this BBS forged aluminum wheel. Uh, it's a one-piece wheel, and it was in multiple pieces. So, again, not great there. Uh, we need to look at also the structural integrity of these wheels, apparently. And then... If we haven't had enough wheel issues already with with those three, <laughs> they run this 18-inch tire with a low-profile 18-inch wheel, low-profile tire on it, so they can't run interliners at Daytona and Talladega now because there's not enough room because it's a low-pro tire. Well, when they get flat tires now, the car just sits on the ground. Uh, the car sits so low to the ground already. You take away the air that's in those tires. Now the entire chassis of the car is just sitting on the ground. Can't go anywhere. So we have multiple instances of guys with flat tires and they couldn't go anywhere. Joey Logano was stuck on the front stretch. His wheels in the grass. It had not rained enough for you know him to get beached. But he couldn't go anywhere because the bottom of the car was bottomed out. Um, we saw it with Austin Cedric after the race. We saw it earlier in the race with Alex Bowman. Like If you get flat tires, you're just kind of stuck. And that's not ideal at all, uh, especially if you get flat tires on the rear. Uh, so that was an unintended consequence, I think, that they didn't really pay too much attention to. I don't know how you fix it. Uh, uh, the tire part, like, obviously, they're not going back to 15s with a big sidewall. So that's out of the question. In terms of, like, the, the wheel and the structural integrity of the wheels, I, NASCAR went with aluminum wheels because with an 18-inch rim... The thought was with an 18-inch steel rim plus the tire on it, because the tires are bigger, that it would be too heavy for these crew guys to lug around. At the same time now, like, are the aluminum wheels strong enough to withstand this? Like, there's a lot of questions. So, I guess we'll have to take a look at it going forward and see how it does the rest of the season. But it's certainly, like, something to keep an eye on. So, other than issues with the new car, the race actually was a lot better than, I think, uh, well, certainly I anticipated, and a lot of people anticipated as well. After what we saw in the duels and kind of in practice, it seemed like it would be kind of uh, it would go a lot back to how the '90s were with the the old school style pod racing, not packs, but like you know, a couple pods of like you know six cars running nose to tail here, and then four back there, and you know, you know how what I'm talking about. So 
and I'm, thankfully it didn't get out to be like that because NASCAR put a ton of effort into promoting this race. Race was sold out, 150,000 people there. They're acting like this is the biggest motorsport event of the year. It's clearly not. Like the Indy 500 in May is going to have double the amount of people, but we'll not discuss that yet. So, yeah, I'm just glad that the the racing was pretty typical of what we we see at at super speedways. I think there's a couple tweaks that they can make to maybe make passing a little bit not easier. I don't even know because you can get big runs and like you're slam drafting. And as we saw, like you can hit people really hard, hard enough to pick them up and wreck them multiple times like Brad did. So yeah, there's, I'm not sure what you can really do to make these cars race a ton better. Definitely felt like the high line was sort of the place to be like it always is. Uh, but the bottom lane Kyle Bushman noted that the bottom lane seemed to really get bogged down engine-wise. Like, you could noticeably hear the RPMs get bogged down, and you just couldn't roll the center of the corner, which is really odd for a a corner that's as big as what Daytona has. Uh, You shouldn't ever experience that. So that was odd. But again, it's kind of, you know, a learning process with this new car. This is the first time that there have been 40 cars out there in a pack at the same time. So, yeah, overall, the race was fine. 35 lead changes you know, three hours and 31 minutes, not terrible. You know, 6,462 green flag passes. I know that's low. That definitely feels low. Um, I'm not 100% sure. We'll look at what the summer Daytona race did last year. Yeah, 9,000 for the summer Daytona race and 100 less miles last year. This race last year as well. Okay, the 2021 Daytona 500 is like the anomaly here because it only did 2,700 green flag passes. That's because like on lap 14, half the field was taken out. So yeah, I can't really blame this on on that that race. You know, whatever, that is what it is. But even the Coke 600 or Coke 400 in uh, 2020 had 7,000 passes. And the 2020 Daytona 500 had... Um, really only 300 more passes so yeah the number felt low uh it i guess it is a little bit lower than probably what the average is if we went back over maybe the last you know 10 years but overall like it's hard to really complain about the package it seemed like it definitely worked pretty well i'm not sure if what are they like 510 510 horsepower or something like that 490 whatever it is now at the super speedways it's it's slow. Like, it definitely is a little bit slower, but uh, you can't really complain. Margin of victory, uh, three hundredths of a second, really close. People were arguing online after the race that Austin Cinder should have been penalized for forcing the 23 of Bubba Wallace below the double yellow line. Bubba never really went below the double yellow, so his his left sides were probably on it at all times. It, it's really hard judgment call to make there, and one that, like, isn't super definitive. So, obviously, I don't think that they should have made that call, so they got it right. But Wallace finished second. Second time he's been runner-up in this race. He, again, so, so close to winning this race. He'll win one before his career's over, you have to think. He's just so good um, at super speedways and has gotten really good the last few years. So he finishes second. Great start to the season for he and that 23-11 team. They lost the right front fender um, in that last caution. Didn't even bother to pitch, just said, fuck it. And uh, went out there and finished second in the Daytona 500 with uh, no right fender. So I don't know why I said right front. Obviously, um, there's not a right rear fender. It's a quarter. So that's on me for being an idiot. Chase Briscoe comes home third. Really think that he's going to have a big rebound season. 
this year after a pretty tough rookie campaign. Uh, yeah, so third place, good for him. Ryan Blaney, who probably had one of the better cars all day, led 36 laps. That, I believe is the second highest in this race. Yeah, uh, behind behind Brad. We'll get to that in a minute. But Blaney finishes fourth. Eric Almirola said, I really thought I was going to get a storybook finish here by winning the Daytona 500. I'm not sure why he thought any part of his career would be storybook, why any part of his career would have warranted a storybook finish. But he finishes fifth, uh, should have won this race in 2018. Definitely had a strong car all week. Uh down at Daytona, but, you know, comes up a little bit short. Kyle Busch and his 17th attempt uh, to win the Daytona 500 does not get it. Uh, if he's back in that 18 car next year, you know, you got to kind of think it's going to have that Daryl Waltrip, you know, 17th try and finally wins it. Kyle on his 18th try, maybe he'll finally win it. Michael McDowell, last year's winner, uh, finished second in his dual race, comes home seventh. Again, dude's just there at the end. David Reagan absolutely smoked the wall after the start-finish line. I assume he's okay. I didn't see anything bad about that. He finished um, eighth for Rick Ware. So Rick Ware gets top 10 to start the season off. I predicted that they would get a top five on a non-super speedway race. We'll see if that comes true. Brad Keselowski finishes ninth. Unfortunately, could not wreck all of the cars in front of him to win this race. And instead watched as um, Ricky Stenhouse put it after the race, watched the car that he gave up win the race. So kudos to him. Uh, so yeah, Brad finishes ninth, lets a race high 67 laps. Uh, I don't know how the rest of the season is going to go for them. I think that probably super speedways are going to be their best bet. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Chase Elliott, 2020 champ comes home 10th, the lone Chevrolet in the top 10, uh, after literally all of them got taken out one by one, a lot like the Toyotas did. So yeah, uh, Ty Dillon. Finished 11th. Daniel Hemrick 16th. Huge rebound from Daniel Hemrick. I believe he came back from potentially two laps down at one point to find to finish on the lead lap, which is huge. He had to do a pass through to start the race because they failed inspection three times. So Colleg, uh, in their first full season as a uh, well as a Cup team, two full time Cup teams, they get a 12th place finish. Ryan or Martin Truex Jr. I believe this is also his 17th or 18th attempt at this to win the Daytona 500, comes up short again, got caught up in a wreck. Corey LaJoy and Landon Castle for Spire, 14th and 15th. Solid runs for those guys. Uh, yeah, nothing to be ashamed of there. Chris Buescher, 16th. Cody Ware, two Rick, both Rick Ware cars in the top 17. Never would have thought that. Daniel Suarez, 18th. Kurt Busch, 19th. And Cole Custer, 20th. Notables, Jacques Villeneuve, who, I don't know, kind of caused a wreck and also came to pit road backwards at one point. Uh, he did say that he was hoping and to get out in you know the final practice happy hour on a Saturday to you know get some laps in so that they could uh, so he could work on pit lane entry and they never got around to it. He said, "Hey, there's 500 miles, long time to learn everything. Probably could use a little bit of that practice as it came to pit road, dead sideways, rear <laughs> rear end facing uh, pit entry." So uh, he rebounded for a 22nd place finish. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Alex Bowman got caught up in that big wreck at the end of stage one. And then just kind of, you know, list on down. Just all these dudes that were just caught up in in multiple wrecks. Greg Biffle had a fuel pump go out, which sucks for him. Because you just want to see the Biff do well at this point of his career. So yeah, overall, super solid race. Nothing to complain about. The car, there's obviously real world testing. You can simulate race runs all you want. 
in all these test sessions that they did, but until there's actual an actual trophy and points on the line, guys are never going to actually race as hard as they would until that happens. So first real test, no, ma- like obviously the wheels, the, the wheels are the big focus point. Sequential gearbox seemed to with or seemed to hold up fine. I guess the real test will come when they're actually shifting multiple times, you know, per lap, probably like at Pocono, potentially Phoenix even, and then the road courses, of course. The independent rear suspension and the suspension on the front end of these cars, super fragile, IndyCar-like in terms of how easy they appear to brake. So that's a bit of a concern uh, going forward. Uh, you can land on the roof and it holds up really well. So shout out to Harrison Burton for being the first to test that, unfortunately. And then, you know, just the transaxles all held up. Uh, there was obviously concern after the Coliseum when multiple broke there. Clearly, there's, they're not launching out of the corners at Daytona like they were at the Coliseum. But, you know, nevertheless, great to see everything kind of hold up for 500 miles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a positive. We go to Fontana next week uh, for that two-mile race or the two-mile racetrack, I think it's a 400-mile race off the top of my head. I can't actually remember. Um, what is the next race? Fontana. Oh, you sons of bitches. I believe it's the Auto Club 400. I know it's not a 500-mile race. That would be absolutely insane. People wouldn't do that. MGK is on my TV. At the Oh, that's because it's Cleveland for the All-Star Race. Oh, the Wise Power 400. 330 on Fox. That probably means like a 347 green flag next week that sucks everybody on the east coast but we got three of those in a row and then they're back to atlanta where god only knows what's gonna happen at atlanta so uh yeah overall solid debut for the gen 7 car clearly some big issues but overall like nothing i don't think they can sort out relatively quickly um shout out to austin sender big time win obviously getting the first your first career cup win being the daytona 500 is wild michael mcdowell did it last year trevor bain did it um, before him in 2011. I don't think Austin Sendrick is going to be a guy that only ever gets a Daytona 500 win. I think he'll win multiple races. I think he'll contend for a cup championship. Um, he's got a great group around him. You know, Fords are fast. We'll give it that. I said in, my, in the blog on Blakehart, Blake, BlakeHartBlog.com, if you read my, um, my betting breakdown for Sunday, I said I'd be surprised that there wasn't a Ford in victory lane. And what do you know? We got a Ford in victory lane. So good for him. Uh, we'll be back to recap Fontana. I'm, inter- I'm really interested to see how this car races on non-super uh, speedway now. So, uh, you know, Fontana is going to be a good test of it. All right, Xfinity race on Saturday. The what's beef, it's what's for dinner 300. Whatever. Fuck it. We're just going to name everything, you know, with ridiculous names. 120 laps, Austin Hill picks up the victory, his uh, first Xfinity Series win and his first race for RCR. Massive for for those guys. Uh, He's obviously, like Austin Sendrick, locked into the playoffs now so he can race for a championship after uh, one one week. So, yeah, he led 23 laps. The RCR cars definitely looked strong all weekend down there. The Chevys in general looked really strong. Uh, Chevy, one, two, three, they had what... Um, five of the top, no, six of the top seven positions. So great for them. Um, shit, eight of the top 10. So yeah, Chevy's looked a lot like the Fords did in the Cup Series. 
Austin Hill wins. AJ Allmendinger leading on the last lap. Uh, when the big wreck happened, Austin Hill was able to be in front of him, and that was pretty much sealed the deal. So eventually, AJ will win one of these races. Like, he has to. Uh, just by the, the fact that he's put himself in position to do it, just hasn't done yet. Noah Gragson kind of looked like he was going to be the guy to win. He finishes third. Riley Herbst fourth. That will probably be the best run for Riley all season. Justin Allgaier in fifth. Got the corn number on the side now, finally. Uh, Sheldon Creed in the other RCR car comes home sixth. Anthony Alfredo in the R Motorsports number 23 comes home seventh. Ryan Sieg eighth. Josh Balicki in the Mario Goslin number 36 comes home ninth. And Brandon Brown in the TradeTheChain.com, whatever the fuck that is, uh, number 68 comes home tenth. Ty Gibbs, who was talked about at nauseum uh, to begin the race and all the pre-race coverage and through the practice sessions and the qualifying sessions and the race came home 11 so yeah good for him i guess ryan truex 12th jj Ailey 13th landon castle in his first race of a full season with colleague came home 14th and jeffrey earnhardt rounds out your top 15 josh berry 16th and then from there on down kind of where you're at but the xfinity series continues to put on one, probably the best racing of all three series and once again, looked really competitive, super dicey at times uh, in this race. They had back-to-back big ones, one on lap 92, which collected, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cars. And then uh, the wreck at the end of the race to um, to finish it off there. Obviously saw Myatt Snyder get turned on the backstretch, get hit in the side, and he went up and over, got hit. Again, went into the fence. They had to replace 200 feet of catch fence last night. Uh, completely ripped the rear end out of the car. Ripped the engine, transmission, the rear firewall completely out of the car. One of the scare, one of the scariest wrecks you'll ever see at Daytona. Thankfully, he got out and walked away. Said he had a little pain in his leg that he was going to get looked at. But for the most part, seem unscathed, which is a testament to all the hard work NASCAR and the engineers that design these cars have have done um so credit to credit to them hans device did his job obviously whoever his seat manufacturer is kept him safe inside so yeah i mean again it's just remarkable that we can look at an engine sitting in the infield grass on the back stretch the rear end not in the car i can literally look through the rear of the car into the cockpit you know, you can look through the, the dry shaft tunnel end to end, nothing obstructing it, and he can climb out. Part of the part of the quarter panel is stuck in the fence. They had to replace two poles. Denny Hamlin's bus was parked on the backstretch with Bubba Wallace and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was standing. You can literally see him as Myatt is upside down. Well, you know, Myatt Snyder's car is now vertical to the ground and about to hit the fence. You can see Michael Jordan behind putting his hands up. And... Uh, the 31 smashes into the fence. Part of the rear, the suspension off the 31 end up in the grill of Denny Hamlin's bus. So there's there's that. NASCAR, again, just got super lucky that Myatt walked away. Not I shouldn't say it's not luck that Myatt walked away. It's all the hard work and effort that's been put into making these cars safer. Uh, that's why Myatt walked away. They got lucky that nobody on the backstretch there, fan-wise, was hit with anything. So, uh, yeah, overall, really good Xfinity race bummed to see it end under caution like that and obviously never want to see a car go into the fence that's certainly not what we want to see but yeah overall again i have no complaints for this race 
heading to Fontana next week. First time there since 2019 after two years away. So, uh, yeah, these cars always are, these cars always put on a good race at Fontana. Worn out surface, you know, high horse, higher, high-ish horsepower uh, with a small spoiler and, you know, less downforce than the cup cars have. So, yeah, excited for the Xfinity Series season ahead. Really heavy hitter, not heavy hitters, but like really competitive teams this year and cars and driver combinations. So excited to see how all that uh, works out, you know, over the next, what do they have, 31 more weeks, I believe, or 32 more weeks. I think they have a 33 season this year. So yeah, uh, overall, really good Xfinity race. Austin Hill needs to keep winning these races too. I mean, it's why you having fucking kids. Got to slow down there. And then on Friday night, cap off our weekend here, was the Truck Series season opener at Daytona. I don't mind the Truck Series being at Daytona. I know some people are like, oh, I wish they would start at New Smyrna. Hey, listen, if they want to have their season start like the week before the Cup Series at New Smyrna and like kick off the World Series of Asphalt, I'm all for it. Fuck yeah, let's do it. Um, there's no reason they shouldn't. So, and then come back the next week and then run the big track with uh, the Cup Series. Yeah, we should absolutely do that. Nevertheless, though, fun ideas generally get squashed around here unless it has to do with a stadium or potentially throwing dirt on a perfectly good racetrack. But Zane Smith in his first race for uh, front row picks up a win. Shout out to Zane. He's locked into the playoffs. Uh, he finished second last season in the championship race, second in the championship, obviously. So, yeah, he he leaves three laps, wins the uh, race. Ben Rhodes finishes second. Christian Eckes finishes third. Uh, Tanner Gray fourth. All right. Uh, Parker Kligerman, fifth. Jesse Little, sixth. Ty Majeski, seventh. I really thought Ty Majeski was going to win this race. Uh, I think he led a race high. No, no, I take that back. John Hunter Nemechek led a race high, 50 laps, and uh, was... I guess he got caught up in one of those wrecks. I think he... I vividly remember seeing him spin. Yeah, yeah, he got caught up in that wreck there at the end. So, um, sucks sucks for John Hunter, but again... There's no reason to believe that he won't just win when they're in Las Vegas in a couple weeks. So, yeah, great for Zane. Uh, Ty Majeski really thought he was going to win. He had Cincinnati Tools, Cincinnati Inc., which uh, was a Hendrick sponsor for a while. Now they're doing a full season. That actually might still be a Hendrick sponsor with Larson this year for a race or two. Uh, but they won the Fontana race in 2019. No. Was it 2019? No, 2020. Am I losing my mind? I think I'm losing my mind. I'm now like COVID. This COVID timeline has me so messed up that like I can't remember what races we ran. We definitely ran Fontana. Yeah, Alex Bowman won in 2020. Yeah, okay, I'm not losing my mind. Um, yeah, so Bowman won with uh, Cincinnati Inc. on the side. Back then, Time Majeski almost gets it done. You know, this weekend with Cincinnati Inc. on the car or truck rather. Yeah, I mean, hey, having Cincinnati on anything in a sporting realm right now seems to be good luck. It's the complete opposite of what we're used to, but we sent the uh, Bearcats football team to the college football playoff, most successful season in their history. The Bengals went to the Super Bowl. Never thought that would happen. Uh, it's been, had been, what, 31 years since that had happened. And then you get, you hey, just slap Cincinnati on the side of Ty Majeski's car, wins the pole, damn near wins the race. So uh, not bad for Ty. Danny Bone in eighth. Carson Hosovar in ninth and uh, Matt DiBenedetto in 10th. He uh, said pre-race or, oh no, pre-qualifying that uh, he thinks 
that he and these guys have gelled really well uh, to start the season, which is funny because we'll check back in, you know, if they start to run poorly in the second half of the year and he's throwing them under the bus uh, immediately and proclaiming he wants to be the the first, uh, you know, openly Christian pro-American driver on the grid for whatever reason. So for whatever reason, another thing... Uh, We'll get into the booth or the Fox broadcast here in a second. The Truck Series booth for is under some impression that Matt DiBenedetto is like the Kyle Bush. It will be Kyle Bush of the Truck Series. They're like, oh yeah, I totally expect Matt DiBenedetto to be in the championship four. What are you talking about? Dude's never won, never won a race in the National Touring Series, NASCAR National Touring Series. That is, never raced for a championship with a team that's never won a race. Yeah, sure. Like, I guess we're just going to start throwing everybody. I mean, hey, I think Jesse Little driving for Young Motorsports in the O2 going to end up in the championship four. Why? Fuck it. We're just going to start saying names out here. Um, Haley Deegan finished 17th. Uh, if people still care about that story. Uh, looking through here, Lawless Allen, still one of the best names in racing. Driving a full season for Nice, finished 25th. Bummer for him. Johnny Sauter looked like a dude that just absolutely did not want to be there this weekend. He got booted from his full-time Thor Sport ride. He'll be doing a partial schedule for Thor Sport. The rest of his races he'll be doing with G2G Racing, which is Tim Vines, uh, most famous for his Trump music video appearance with his, I believe, 83 truck back then. Um, Yeah, fuck it. Like, Johnny Sauter, feel bad for you, dude. Like, you should just hang it up and run your late models up in uh wisconsin until it's time for you to hop back in that thor sport truck whenever those races roll around for you because not gonna be a fun season for you in the gtg machine but yeah i'm again i know i said i'm excited for all the series so far the truck series continually delivers year after year really strong truck series this year between zane all four of the is there four yeah, all four of the um, Thor Sport trucks full-time. And then you you toss in um, Hosevar for Nice. Like, he'll probably... he If he doesn't end up winning a race this year, I'd be surprised. DGR is still trying, which is great. They're going to put fast drivers in that 17 truck until Taylor Gray is able to come up and start, you know, wrecking people. Then you have the KBM trucks. Chandler Smith and John Hunter obviously going to be factors this year. And then... You know, from there on down, like, you have the GMS trucks that will potentially play a factor. Like, there's probably 12 to 15, like, really solid trucks this year. And that's definitely not a bad thing um, at all. So, excited to see what the Truck Series does this year. And before we sign off, we have to talk about how just awful, awful, awful the Fox broadcast is or was this weekend, is, always will be. Between the tight shots, the unnecessary use of onboard cameras at all times for absolutely no reason, showing the finish of the Daytona 500 from an aerial shot from the blimp, and you couldn't decipher where they were at in the trial because you're looking at it from basically like the original GTA, like bird's eye view, you couldn't see anything. So that was awful in itself they missed obviously harrison burton going upside down they refused to explain anything that was happening i believe at the end of stage two there's a ton of smoke on the backstretch 
And Mike Joy just goes, lots of smoke ahead of him. And never mention where that smoke came from or who it was or what caused it or anything. Never follow up on that. They're just a bunch of nonsensical stories to just fill dead air without actually informing the viewer of what's happening. You have like this slapstick humor nonsense going on in the pre-race show. And then Mike Joy and Clint were always trying to crack jokes up in the booth during the race. And it's like, can we just you know, present the race how it needs to be presented? I don't understand why that is an unacceptable way of broadcasting a race. It's infuriating, at least with Formula One. The Sky Booth, yeah, they make things exciting. Do they, like, try to pump it up every now and then? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody does. It's part of their job. But at the same time, they do a really good job of explaining everything that's happening as it's happening. Strategy-wise, what happened to the car, what could have broken, blah, blah, blah. Anything. They explain it well. And and the IndyCar broadcast does a really good job of explaining things for the most part, too. Um, The NASCAR broadcast just absolutely refuses, refuses to believe that their audience wants to be educated in the least. For whatever reason, Fox believes that their NASCAR audience is tuning in to watch like a slapstick comedy routine from an opener at a fucking funny bone on a Tuesday night. It makes no sense. Nobody's tuning in for that. So, you know, while the rest of us are hoping to, you know, maybe figure out what the strategy is or what's going on, Fox is just too busy, you know, yucking it up up in the booth to pay attention to anything that's going on on the track. And it's it's so tiring and it's so old. And then throw in the fact that we're going to commercial every five laps. And we're missing half the race, essentially. The fact that they can't figure out how to get it to to do side-by-side commercials in the year 2022 is, is absurd. And people are like, well, they have contracts. They have to, you know, they have to adhere to those contracts. Yeah, they do. You're right. But they set their they set their advertising contracts at the beginning of every year. So you, you could essentially, and obviously they're paying a billion dollars for this over, you know, X amount of years. I get it. But at the same time, you're doing activations literally during the race too. We're doing Toyota activations. When we come back from commercials, we're doing commercials in the broadcast while we're not while we're back from commercials. It's an, it's infuriating. And you know, at the same time, everybody's like, well, they had to pay for this. Yeah, but they're also making money. Like they're not putting this on for the hell of it. Obviously, they're making a profit off of showing this with the amount of advertisers they have. And I know, oh, you know, we can't cut into profits because that's bad. But at the same time, you could easily show this race side by side with your commercials going and still turn a profit. Not as big of one that you were, but you can still turn a profit. Will they? Absolutely not. We're stuck with this nonsense until the contract's renegotiated. But in a time period right now where I can watch the Rolex 24 on Peacock streaming live all the way through without commercials... You know, and then we also have Formula One presented, the biggest form of motorsport in the world, presented in this country commercial free on ESPN. And I know the contract's set up different. I know ESPN's not paying anything for for the Formula One rights. I, yeah, I get all of that. Fox needs to figure it out. NASCAR needs to figure it out. Whoever the next TV partner is going to be when they re or when they sign a new TV contract, which they'll start negotiating next year, um, if not at the beginning at the end of this year, they need to figure out how to do that whether it's an over-the-top you know streaming service where we can watch races commercial free pay a premium for it whatever i'm fine with that or if they figure out how to do it you know over cable or whatever you want to call it that's what we need to do will they absolutely not i've lost all faith in that them actually doing the right thing but you know 
Now I'm going to hold out a little bit of hope. So, you know, is what it is. It's frustrating to watch a booth. Boyer with the over-the-top accent, just leaning into his shtick. It's, it hurts my ears. Mike Joy, Mike Joy checked out a decade ago. Like, I don't think that guy even knows that he's out of race most of the time. Chris Myers, awful on the pre-race show. Fox, the way they present, even their broadcast signal, they're, they're compressing the image so much because they refuse to broadcast in 1080p. They only broadcast in 720, which is awful. But then they compress the image so much, it looks pixelated on, you know, majority of televisions out there. So it's, it, they're just put out such a bad product that it it's awful. When you love something as much as all of us love racing, to see it presented in such a bad way, like if why would a casual fan tune in to watch this and be like, oh, I'm going to watch this again next week? When they get treated like an idiot, they have no idea what's happening because nobody's explaining anything at all to them. There's no reason for them to tune in into it. And I and Fox would say, you know, we do this. We don't get super technical because we want the casual fan to be able to tune in and know what's happening. They're tuning in, but they don't know what's happening because you're not telling them what's happening. It's like when I tune in to watch cricket when it's on ESPN in the morning or Aussie Rules Football. I don't know what the fuck I'm watching. But I still watch it because I don't know what's happening. I'm trying to figure it out. It's like when you do a puzzle for the first time or or you open something up and you're like, I'll build this out the instructions. Is this a good idea? Absolutely not. Do I know what's going on? Nope. Am I going to figure it out? Sure. It's going to take me a lot longer than it should though. Am I going to enjoy it? Probably not. That's how people are tuning in to watch NASCAR races right now. And at a time where there's a bit of a resurgence of motorsport in this country shout out to formula one for for helping out with that nascar needs to try to capitalize on that and how are they capitalizing on it by having michael waldrop run up and down the pit lane <sighs> yeah sure fine whatever um it's just it's a bummer it's such a bummer because there's so many good things that they could do and i i tweeted out the other day that you know nascar's got so much next gen stuff happening right now the next gen car the gen 7 car they go to the coliseum they're shuffling up the schedule they have all these ideas for things that they want to do all this new fresh idea movement in the sport and what hasn't been refreshed the the announcer booth for for the better part of my entire lifetime most of the guys in the booth have been the guys in the booth Uh, obviously the nbc broadcast is a different story they're bad in their own right but in terms of fox mike joy's always been there um obviously they added clint in in the the rest of the cast has been a bit of a rotating but larry max always been there like i like larry i think larry should probably be on the broadcast at all times but for the most part fox has never changed the way they broadcast the race in better part of 20 years and and it's just tiring after a while like we're watching the same thing year in and year out and it's never getting better so yeah it's a bummer that it all kind of stinks like this but uh you know race cars are on the track so we're gonna watch that you know every time that it's on but we're on to fontana now which you know is great obviously getting the season started up here 37 races over 38 weeks for the cup series so strap in folks it's gonna be a a long season hopefully everything goes according to plan and um you know obviously we're not stopping for covid anymore or anything like that hopefully the car stands up and uh, everybody gets some parts that they need and hey shout out let's hope we have a good season IndyCar's back next weekend as well they kick off their season in St. Pete uh, February start for them which is awesome so 
better to have in or better to have IndyCar back sooner rather than than later. So really excited to get the season going. Uh, back next week to talk about Fontana and maybe be less critical of the Fox booth. Maybe we'll find out. But uh, follow us on Twitter at BreakHard underscore um, Facebook BreakHard blog and uh, BreakHardblog.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast. You know everything. See you next week.